Hello, Antioch Community Church. We're so glad that you are here this morning. My name is Savannah Reynolds, and I get to serve on the pastoral leadership team. And this morning, my job is to tell you some cool stuff that's going on in our church that you won't want to miss out on. Our community outreach is coming up for the month of December, and we would love for you to join us. This is a great way for us as a church family to learn how to love our neighbors and grow in sharing our faith in the community. Our welcome to the family dinner is tonight from 5.30 to 7 at the church. So if you are new here, this is a great way to get connected. We'd love to tell you more about the church, feed you a good meal, and help you to meet some awesome people. So if you're interested in coming, sign up online so we can know how much food to get for you. Love to see you there. Lastly, we hope that you all have a great Thanksgiving with your friends and family and that you eat lots of good food. My name is Zach and I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch Dallas. I want to welcome you to church today. Really excited you're here. I've been sick, so I don't normally talk like Kermit the Frog, but today, if you could bear with me, I've got a little, um, little uh, throat problem, so please bear with me. I want to update you guys on our That We May campaign. As you know, or maybe you don't know, and now you're learning, we are moving into a new facility, hopefully right around the turn of the year. We're super excited about what God has provided for us. We are in the process of raising $150,000 to outfit this space. Uh, we've already raised 30. That's awesome. So excited about that. And we're working toward that 150. And so this week I've been going around to different life groups and just sharing vision, not necessarily about the what, that's important, but about the why behind the what. Why are we doing this? Why does this matter? And I want to I want to show you one picture. We took a group selfie. I don't know what that's called, but a great life group. And then going to these different groups, I've just been blown away at what an amazing community we get to be a part of. I'm inspired by you, the way that you love Jesus, the way that you love one another. And it's just a real honor to get to be a part of what God is doing here and to get to be your pastor. I consider that a high privilege. So I just want to thank you for that. Hopefully I'll be coming to your group soon. Um, and it's just, man, great people here uh, in the church. As we're talking about this, I wanted my friend John Poitavent. John, are you in here? John, come on up. John, John's going to share a little bit of his story that I think helps paint a picture of why we're doing this, why we're raising this money. So John? I want to rewind real quick to 25 years ago. And uh, I grew up in uh, Richardson, uh, grew up going to church every uh, Sunday at a very denominational, liturgical, formal church. Um, it was, you, you wore a suit, you sat in Sunday school, then you sat in a whole nother service, uh, all dressed up, and then we never talked about Jesus any other time. And so that was my picture of Christianity. I was a Christian, in my mind, according to that experience. And so I uh, moved away from Dallas and then moved back um, and, uh, as a young adult. And I was just doing the Dallas thing. I mean, I was working, but I was, uh, the weekends, I was on Lower Greenville, uh, hung out at a club that is now, I think it's like a chicken place. Uh, it's, it's in the uh, shopping center where my gym is now. And it's like, I think I got sick in that parking lot one time. Um, but that was my weekends, was that, every weekend. But then every other night, I would come home from work, I would fix some ramen noodles, because uh, that was all I had money for, and I would lay on my couch and smoke cigarettes and watch TV until midnight, 
and uh, would crawl into bed, and I was just, uh, I had just ended a three-year relationship that was, uh, just wrecked me. I was totally lonely and depressed and uh, hopeless. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a saying that most men lead lives of silent desperation, and that was my life. And um, someone had recommended a church in Dallas that doesn't even live in Dallas, but they said, we heard this church is really great. And so in my desperation, I looked it up. And um, I mean, you know how big Dallas is. Out of all of Dallas, this church that they had recommended was on the same street as my apartment. And so I pulled out of my parking lot, took a left, drove a mile, and turned left into this church. But it was people, uh, they weren't wearing suits. They looked like me. They looked just like your average person. They were very friendly. They invited me out to dinner afterwards. A guy just sat on a stool and taught out of the Bible, and I'd never really seen that before. And I, I considered myself a Christian, but in that season, in that time period, uh, suddenly my faith went from black and white to, like, HD color. And it was, like, vibrant and real, and my values changed, and my perspective on life changed. And uh, I was telling the staff uh, the other night that I... I would pull up to a to like a, a stoplight, and I would crank up. I'd like put in the cassette DC Talk new thing, and I would crank it up, and I would roll down my windows, and I'd look over the car next to me. I'm like, they're getting Jesus right now. Like, this is evangelization, um, and it was like joyful for me. And so um, I say that to say that um, that apartment that I lived in. Um, is seven-tenths of a mile from our new Antioch location. So for me, a part of this move really strikes home. Um, because um, in our lives, God doesn't just um, restore and, and redeem our life. I believe he wants to go back to places of hurt and wounding and um, darkness and, and redeem those places even for us. And we read in Acts, we read that Peter went to the very place he had denied Christ in front of the very same leaders and preached the gospel boldly. And so um, for me, that we may is that we may go and reach people like me. Um, and they're everywhere. We could plant a church anywhere and reach people like that. But for me, it connects because I can drive right by where I sat so lonely and realize that um, as we give towards that we may, as we give towards this new location, um, we're giving towards people that we don't know yet. People who aren't here yet. And I want us to think that way and pray that way and give that way. And I want you to also consider not just giving uh, financially, but, but giving through your service and your talents. Uh, our Welcome Home team, we're going to need twice as many people. Because of the structure of the building and, and the way it's set up and it's bigger, we're going to need twice as many people if we really want people to feel welcomed and connected and accepted. So prayerfully consider being a part of that. We need to get that ramped up before we move in. But um, yeah, just as we, as we give towards this and as we think towards it, I just encourage you to think it's not about money, it's not about a building, it's about people's lives that don't know Jesus yet, and we're going to be a part of that, and that's pretty exciting. So, thanks. Awesome. So again, that next giving day is coming up December the 4th. So I just want to remind you about that. With that, if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 3 today. Just to review where we've been, we're reading this letter from the Apostle Peter, whom John spoke about, one of the original disciples, and he has powerfully experienced the grace of God transforming his life over a lifetime. We saw last week that Peter kind of started out hot 
and cold, to be in with Jesus one minute, out doing something crazy the next, and he found the grace of God to meet him even in his wandering, even in his fickleness, even in his failure, the grace of God was there for him. But now as an old man, he writes, having experienced not only the grace of God that meets you where you're at, but the grace of God that transforms you. He writes as an older gentleman, having experienced that transforming grace. And interestingly enough, he's writing to a group of people that Peter would have grown up being taught uh, were less than, were outsiders, were outcasts. Peter grew up in a fairly racially tense uh, community. And yet God worked so powerfully in his life that he transformed this, this racial prejudice that he grew up with into a heart of love. And now God is using him to reach the very people he was taught to hate. They were outside of the grace of God. Such an incredible picture of the grace of God. Peter himself is about to go to be martyred for his faith. He's at the end of his race, the end of his life, and he's about to pay the cost of his life. And yet, even in the midst of his own personal suffering, he's writing, touched by grace, to these young Christians that we're reading about, that they themselves are about to face some significant persecution. So we saw last week that he starts out by encouraging them about the grace of God. That the grace of God in Jesus had given them a new name, had given them a new purpose, and had given them a new power source. Today, he continues on just encouraging them. And I want to read the words of Peter to you and let the Holy Spirit speak as we read those. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Who wants that kind of joy? I do. Obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is an incredible passage of scripture. My biggest challenge as a preacher and a teacher looking at this is how do we distill this into a short talk on a Sunday morning? There's so much here that literally we could spend weeks just gleaning from this and basking in this, marinating in the richness of what is written 
right here. But I want us to focus in on three particular things about the gift that we've received in Jesus that Peter talks about. And to do that, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about a gift that you've received in your life that sometimes you might take for granted. Sometimes you might not have expected it or even really known that you needed it. But looking back on this gift, you're like, man, this gift radically transformed, radically shaped, radically blessed my life for the better. I want you to think about what type of gift that you've received like that. <clears throat> for me, as I was trying to answer this question, I was thinking about the gift of driving a car. Now, at first glance, you get used to, you know, you get used to driving after you've done it for a while. Most of the time, you're like, man, I, I, you know, I don't want to sit in traffic. But as I thought back about learning to drive, I was reminded of when I was 14 or 15 years old, and my parents told me it was now time to learn how to drive the family car. And we would go to the football stadium in our city, and my dad would drive me around on Saturday and Sunday, and then would let me drive in the parking lot where there's no other cars around, and it's a fairly safe environment, you know, and through the halting, stopping, starting, veering right, veering left, but learning how to drive. We spent time together. He was investing in me in that way. When I turned 15, I took driver's ed, as many of you might have. Funny story about driver's ed. One weekend, my parents were out of town, and so my grandmother was going to take me to the class. And she just so happened to drive the wrong way down a one-way road to get there. So um, that was just ironic with driver's ed. But I went through driver's ed. It comes to my 16th birthday. And my parents got me a car for my 16th birthday. I was blown away. Now, many of the kids in my school had nice new cars. My parents weren't going to go that route. They were going to give me something cheap, but that hopefully I would enjoy. <clears throat> and so they bought for me an old red Pontiac Firebird, which is a 16-year-old guy. You're like, this is unbelievable. Now, this Firebird had some um, unique personality traits. Let's put it that way um, that I'll explain to you in a moment. But I remember the day before my birthday, going to the music store, spending all the money that I had buying CDs to be prepared for that opening drive to school to have just the right music, to put off just the right vibe, but now I had arrived. So we go to the, drive, the DMV on Sunday morning, you know, you take the test or you fill out the form or whatever, I get my license and I'm like, oh man, now's the time, I'm going to school, I've got my music loud, I'm pulling up to school in this red fire runner, hoping all my friends see me, and yet one of the personality quirks of this car was such that when you turn it off, it didn't actually shut off. It, it would shimmy for a while. And, and, and sometimes you might think it was demonically uh, possessed. You'd turn it off, you'd get out, you'd walk out 15 feet away, then it'd go, oh. It's really hard to look cool in front of your friends when you get out of your car and it does that. It wouldn't start all the time, but you know what? We had a good time and I learned how to drive in that car. The thing about driving, just, I was like, how many doors has this opened for me? I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus and I would drive to all these different worship services because I was just so hungry to learn and that car became a vehicle for me to grow in my faith. I remember seeing the cute girl that lived in the apartment complex next to me my junior year, now my wife, 
and being able to take her out on a date because I could drive. It would have been a little awkward if I needed my mom to come pick me up to take us out in college. I'm so thankful. I remember driving after our wedding to, to our first house. And I remember driving her to the hospital for the birth of each of our three children and then driving home with this precious new little life in the back of the car. It's amazing the experiences for me that learning how to drive have opened up. It's a really rich gift. Sometimes I overlook it. Sometimes I miss the significance of it. But in taking time to reflect, man, I am so thankful for the thoughtfulness, the generosity, and the intentionality of my parents to take the time to give me that gift. <coughs> Peter here, in this next section of Scripture, reminds these young Christians of the gift that they've received in Jesus. And like driving, sometimes you can overlook the significance of this gift, the meaningfulness of this gift, the power and the goodness of this gift, and Peter does not want them to forget the grace of God that they've received in Jesus and the significance of that grace. And I believe that the Holy Spirit would have us pause today to reflect, to remember, to bask in, to meditate on, to marinate in and enjoy the gift that we have received in Jesus. Now, if you are not a Christian, if you're here and you're checking things out and you're trying to piece together, you came on the perfect Sunday. Because you're going to get a good look in to who Jesus is and why this is so significant. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, I've got good news for you. This is the gift that never runs old. We don't graduate from just being in awe of, man, God, thank you for the gift that you've given me and given us in Jesus. So let's look at it. And I want, to, I want you to focus in on three particular aspects. Sorry, I'm going to have to drink just a little bit of my tea. There are three things that I want you to focus in here that we see the grace of God in Jesus is. It's the gift of God's great mercy. So we see in Jesus, we all, when you come to trust in Jesus, you've received the gift of God's great mercy. Number two, it's a gift of God's abundant generosity. So not only have we received mercy, but we've also received from the abundant generosity of God. Number three, we receive God's forever <clears throat> faithfulness. When we receive Jesus, we've received a gift of God's forever faithfulness. Let's look at the scriptures and we'll go through one by one. So the first thing, the gift of God's great mercy. <clears throat> Notice in verse three that Peter says that it's according to his, not Peter's, but God's great mercy that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So when we properly understand the significance of Jesus' coming and his resurrection from the dead, we come to the realization that we have encountered the great mercy of God for our lives. Now, many people will tell you that Jesus is a wise teacher, and he is. Many people will tell you that Jesus is a good example. And then on the cross, he teaches us how to forgive, how to turn the other cheek, how to bless our enemies. And all those things are true. <clears throat> but what we see here is that there's a deeper dimension, a more foundational 
truth that more than just being a good example, that when we receive Jesus, we have received God's great mercy for our lives. Not in a one-time kind of action of, oh, that one time God was merciful to me. But the language Peter used to describe it, he says, that great mercy has caused us to be born again. That's a word of new life. That it's not a one-time thing, but there's this new reality in which you and I live is that we've been the extravagant recipients of God's great mercy. That that great mercy births something in us, a hope. He describes it as a living hope. Now, I've hoped in many things. Some have come to pass. Some have not come to pass. But those things are dead hopes. They could not give me in the end what I really hoped for. But what Peter is saying here is that because of this great mercy, the effect it has on your life is it births a living, lasting, abiding, real and true hope. Now, these Christians here that are receiving this word, these early Christians, they're about to go through significant suffering. They're about to be martyred. They're about to be put in, if you've ever seen Christians in the lion's den, that's what they're about to go through. In fact, the emperor under which they live is going to take some of them, put them on the stake, light them on fire, and use them as decorations for his dinner parties. They're going to experience significant suffering. And yet, Peter is reminding them, regardless of what their circumstances before them say, they, in a very deep and profound and true and lasting way, have been the recipients of God's great mercy in Jesus. That there's strength in that and there's depth in that that was going to carry them through the challenges and the trials and the suffering that they were going to face. Now, question for you. What would it be like if you were one of these Christians and you let the realization that God had been greatly merciful to you Touch your heart. Touch your life. Touch the way that you approach the world. How would that change your identity? How would that change the way that you thought about yourself? How would that change the way you thought about God? How would that change the way you thought about your purpose in life? I can tell you, you would live very differently if your understanding of yourself was God has been abundantly merciful to me. This gift that he gave me in Jesus. What would happen if we today let that same truth resonate so deeply in our hearts that it transformed the way that we looked at ourselves? It transformed the way that you looked at the events of your life. It transformed the way that you looked at your circumstances because you've seen God has been greatly merciful with me. I bet it would birth that same kind of living hope. I bet it would birth that same kind of new life in us. (coughs) But that's not where Peter stops. He moves on from the great mercy of God to point number two, that we've received God's abundant generosity in Jesus. He goes on to say in verse four that you've received an inheritance. You've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What's an inheritance? An inheritance is something that you receive. It's not something you work for. It's not you got good grades in school, you worked hard in life, you built up a certain income, you had a certain retirement. That's not what an inheritance is. An inheritance is not based off your works, it's based off someone else's work. 
and their generosity. I grew up with some kids whose grandparents owned one of the major uh, soft drink companies in America. And they had an inheritance. They had lots of money. They had all these cars and all these trips, and it wasn't because my friends did anything. It was because of what their grandparents did, and then out of their generosity, they gave to them. Peter is saying here that when we, <clears throat> when we properly understand who Jesus is and what he's done and what we've received in him, that we realize that you and I have been the recipients of God's abundant generosity. Did you know that regardless of what your parents are able to leave you or not leave you, that you have an inheritance? Do you know that regardless of what's in your bank account, that the God of the universe has dealt abundantly in generosity to you and to me in Jesus? And a generosity that's not limited to this world or this season or this economic uptick or downtick, but one that's kept in heaven for you and for me. <clears throat> what would happen? Thank you. What would happen if you and I began to approach our lives realizing the significance of God's generosity toward us? How would that change your identity? How would that change the way that you approach the world if you realize, man, God has been so generous with me in Jesus? You would have confidence and courage to face the challenges ahead because you would be able to trust in God's generosity to you. But Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, in Jesus, we've also received God's forever faithfulness. Now, I love this one. He describes in verse 10, he talks about that the prophets of old, if you've read through the Old Testament, you realize that God spoke through men and women called prophets, that these prophets were not there for themselves, but that they were prophesying about one who was to come, who would set right the world. How does that change our understanding? It helps us to realize God didn't decide to send Jesus out of a whim. It wasn't like, well, I don't know, let's try this. Maybe this will fix him. No, the Bible teaches that from before the foundation of the world that God had a plan. And that God sent Jesus on the back of demonstrated faithfulness over thousands of years. So when you receive Jesus, you receive the realization that your life is forever touched by the forever faithfulness of God. That's good news. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> again, if we take these realities, in Jesus, we've not just received a good moral teacher. We've not just received kind of an example of how to share and be a good person, but that we've received the great mercy of God, <clears throat> that we've received the abundant generosity of God, that we've received the forever faithfulness of God, and we let that just touch us, and we come back to that. <clears throat> Again, I'm sorry for being sick, but this is a good word that'll help somebody, including myself. If we come back to that, then you face the suffering that you're going through with courage, with hope, with faith. You're not caught off guard with, maybe God's a hard taskmaster to me, 
and he's just giving me hard things because he just, I don't know. No, you realize, God, you've been abundantly merciful with me. And you have faith for what you're facing. You realize that God's arm is not too short to save, that he's not stingy with you, aloof, checked out, doesn't really care. But you and I, we've received in Jesus God's abundant generosity. So then we face the future in light of that. We realize that God's not forgotten about you or me. No situation has caught him off guard. No thing is outside of his watch. And that in that, he is being forever faithful to you and to me, to his people. That's what we received in Jesus. Guys, this is good news. Now, we're going to move on in the letter, and Peter's going to talk about, well, how does that change the way we live? How does that change the way we approach every day? And we're going to get there, but I just think it's significant that here we start talking about grace, and we talk about the new you, the new purpose that we've received, the new power source, the gift that we've received in Jesus, the mercy, the generosity, and the faithfulness of God. And just like Peter kind of got caught off guard at the beginning, he's just like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He got moved by this. And I want to let us, I want to let this move us as well. In the coming weeks, we'll get to the practical. So now what do we do? But today, let's just stop. And let's just be thankful. Let's just enjoy Jesus together. Let's just be in awe of this gift that you and I have received that we didn't earn, but God has given to us. In Jesus. So if you'll stand and get the band to come on up. We're just going to worship together. And just it's Thanksgiving week. Let's be thankful. Jesus, thank you for your abundant generosity to us. Thank you that in you we receive the great mercy of God. That your great mercy has, I don't know, exploded in our lives. And we're forever changed. God, thank you that we're the recipients of your forever faithfulness, that you have proven yourself faithful and therefore we can look to the future with confidence in our hearts and your ongoing faithfulness to us. Lord, we rejoice in you today. We celebrate you today. We want to be thankful for who you are today. So as the band leads us in worship, let's respond.